Good morning. Good morning, my precious Orangewood family. It's so good to be with you. Zach, thanks for your enthusiasm this morning, reminding us what a joy it is to come and to celebrate and to worship. I've seen a lot of faces I haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. It's good to see you. I've seen a lot of new faces, so welcome. It is great to have you here. Uh, If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 6, as we continue our series, Far As the Curse is Found, we're looking at the biblical answer for the curse that it still exists here in this earth and in our own lives, the answer of Jesus. Um, I hope and pray that God's Spirit is greatly working in your life, reshaping your heart and your mind as we look to the beauty, the wonder, the awe of not only God's Word, but His Son and what He has done for us. It's absolutely amazing. Start off with a question. What news channel do you watch? Now, I don't want an answer. Don't shout it out. I mean, this is, this is one of those rhetorical things, you know? Which one do you watch? All right, don't yell it out. Some people next to you might get a little frightened. Some of you may watch CNN, the worldwide leader. Don't, I don't want to hear any oohs and ahs. I know that some people will feel different things about different stations. But CNN certainly is a worldwide leader. Uh, as I've traveled abroad, I see them everywhere. Some of you uh, may watch Fox News because it's fair and balanced. Some of you may like the local news because you like local news first. And maybe because you like weather on the ones. And tell me why in Central Florida do we need to have the weather on every one? It's hot and muggy. It's hot and muggy still. Tomorrow, hot and muggy. Next week, hot and muggy. But if you miss it, you're not sure, what is it like out right there? On the ones, okay, hot and muggy. Good, I I, want to make sure I know. But really, the question is, does it really matter? I mean, all they are is just reporting the news, right? I mean, if they're to report the news, why do we need so many of them to give us their rendition of the news? I mean, can't we just turn on the TV and just see what happens? Why are there so many? Well, it's because each one seems to have a bit of a slant, doesn't it? Seems like each one wants to have a spin. Even those who claim no spin zone, if you look really close, they seem to have their own perspective. And maybe the older we get and the more we watch, we start to realize that there could be a story within the story here. There might be something said beyond that which is being said. Did you get that? There might be something being said beyond that which is being said. And I want to use that mindset to take us to God's Word this morning because I want to say that it's true of the Bible too. That there's really a greater story in the midst of the story. We're going to talk about Noah today. Everybody here probably has heard a story of Noah. When I mention the name Noah, maybe you have flashes back to felt board in your old Sunday school class. Uh, maybe there's, there's, there's pictures of rainbows and animals. Uh, maybe it's... Uh, Evan Baxter uh, and that latest movie, but somehow we all know the Noah story. But let me tell you, clearly God's word has a greater story in the midst 
of the story. Now let me ask you a couple questions as we begin. Is the Bible fair and balanced? Can we say that the Bible is God's word, that it's fair and balanced? And I want you to know, now don't leave when I answer this. Some of you are going to want to get up and get out right now. But it's not really fair or balanced. It's true. I believe every word inspired is is God's word. But fair? I mean, we read through the Bible, we are going to find out that God chooses to bless who he chooses to bless. I mean, Bible will tell us that God is the, the, uh, the potter and we are clay. I mean, fair. God's going to choose one family in all of humanity in this story. Balanced? God's going to tell us true history. We call it redemptive history. But he's going to tell it to us through one nation's perspective in the Old Testament for the most part. Sometimes he's going to tell us through one person's perspective. Or one family's perspective, as we see today. Would we say that that was really balanced? I want you to know that God's got a slant to the whole story. And it's his glory. And he wants you to read every page of it. And realize that he, and he alone, is the hero. That loves his creation and loves to save that which is lost. And we can get lost. But let me, let me just throw out the notion that the Bible's not fair and balanced. The Bible clearly is going to be from one perspective. It's true, but it's going to be from God's perspective. It's going to be his history, what we like to call, what the theologians will call, redemptive history. It's God's story. It really is. It's not man's story. It certainly tells us a story of man, where we came from, what we're supposed to do. But ultimately, this is God's story of who he is and what he requires of us. And as we read his story and we're in this series, we see that man created in his image, created for a very specific purpose in the story, really next to God, the primary uh, agent of the story, reflecting who God is, God's image bearer, the one created to carry forth God's plan in a special way, that the one that God created, listen, this is what the Bible says, that we were created in a blessed way to know and love God. And we were created to be a blessing wherever we go. But the story of the Bible and the story of man is how man brought a curse to all that God has created. And how God graciously, lovingly, sometimes with floods, Sometimes with earthquakes, sometimes with gentleness, graciously reverses that curse and makes all things new through Jesus Christ. Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles, uh, what I want to start off by doing, and now, please, uh, I'm a little bit nervous about today because we got the Noah story. We're going to try to handle the Noah story in one week. Um, And so we're going to read a lot of the Noah story. But I really, for us to get this Noah story, uh, we're going to have to know what has been happening up to this point, okay? So I want to briefly give you, now, if you were here last week, we looked at Jesus uh, as the second Adam. We looked at the first Adam that brought a curse on all things. We kind of left off last week in Genesis 3, that all things have been cursed because of the fall of man. So let me start off by saying, what has happened in the Bible story from Adam to Noah? Well, if you'll turn with me, and we're not going to read this, we're just going to look. So look at chapter 4. All things have been cursed. And guess what happens in chapter 4? Well, you have two brothers, Cain and Abel. 
And does the curse affect them? You bet it does. Cain is going to kill his righteous brother, Abel. And we're going to see that, that, that we've lost our moorings, that sin is creeping at, Abel, uh, at Cain's door, and it's so great that he's not his brother's keeper. He's his brother's murderer. But God is not going to stop. He's not going to let the story fail. And as we continue through Genesis 4, we see a man named Lemek in verses 23 that it, sin is getting so bad that he's boasting about killing. He's excited. He sings a song about those he kills as if he does something heroic. But at the end of chapter 4, we see that God provides a righteous seed. The story, God's not going to give up on his story and his plan. And there's one that's going to replace Abel that's righteous. His name's Seth. And, and it's through his seed that there was going to have hope. And at the end of chapter 4, if that's all that we had in the Bible, we'd say this story was successful because people started praising God. They started turning to God. Seth came on the scene and all of a sudden people got re-engaged with God. And then we have chapter 5. And chapter 5 is going to take us from Seth to Noah and talk about some guys like Methuselah and how long they lived. And really all it's doing is connecting the dots. And it's showing that these lines are continuing. And then you get to chapter 6. And there's a really difficult part in chapter 6 about the sons of God and the sons of men and how they kind of intermarry and what is happening there. And a lot of commentators and those of you who can't wait to have that unpacked, that's not the story today. It's, it's my belief that it's... The sons of God, are, it's a Seth line, it's the chosen line. They're intermarrying and now they're bringing on a curse. Uh, the curse is now expanding. At the end of chapter 4, it looked like everybody's going to get it. They're turning to praise God. But by the beginning of chapter 6, all hell is breaking loose. The chapter 6 gives us a picture of a world that's lost its moorings. It shows us what it's like. For sin to be unrestrained and what it does to all of creation. How it messes up God's image and how it messes up God's creation. So we get to Noah. And I want us to answer this question. So that kind of connected the dots. So this is an important question too, so don't, don't lose this. And at first, the next question is this. Why did Moses tell us the story of Noah? We believe that Moses is writing the Bible. He's writing it not at the time that this happened. He's writing it heading to the promised land. They've left Egypt. God is inspiring him. He's writing God's word. But why did he give us the story of Noah? we got to realize that, that Moses is like every news reporter, every storyteller. He has decided, again, through the Holy Spirit, what he's going to tell and what he doesn't tell. Now, there's a lot that God's word doesn't tell us. And we can get frustrated with that. It doesn't really tell us about what happened to the dinosaurs. It doesn't really tell us about that continental drift thing. There's so much of history that it seems to be silent about. But God's word never intended to tell us all things. It tells us what we need to know about God and ourselves and how much we need him. So the question we may want to ask, it's a good question, is this. Why did Moses tell us the story of Noah? Why did he include this? And here's what really, if you want to get the Bible to start singing so you can understand it in a new way, start asking this question. What did this story mean to the original hearing audience? Picture the Israelites. Picture them heading into the promised land. Why all of a sudden will Moses want to make sure that it's imperative that they know about Noah? Why? Well, how does that fit? And I promise you, when you start reading the book of Genesis... 
picturing God's people heading toward the promised land, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode. He's going to, wow, it makes sense. It really makes sense why he tells us about Abraham going into Egypt. It makes sense that they had to have plagues to come out. We went through the same thing. And again, I'm tempted to jump into all the ways it connects dots, and I'll hopefully do it more. But let's also go back and say, what did this originally mean to the original listening audience? And then we have to ask, because we live here as Christians uh, in the 21st century, we have to ask this question. We can't just pick up this story and go way back to ancient near history. We have to ask the question, what adjustments need to be made, or how do we understand this through the lens of Christianity and Jesus Christ? Remember we had those 3D glasses a couple of weeks ago? For those of you who are here, we started the series off giving you these glasses saying, really for us to understand the Bible, we have to understand Him. Reading through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us to make this to make sense. So we too have to say, how do we read the Noah story with Jesus? How is He the answer? How does this point to Him? Um, then we have to ask the questions, what implications are in our world? So what? Okay, two by two animals, a really bad rainstorm. What does that do with me? And we seem to ask that question a lot. And what future implications are there? You see, what we normally do, what normally happens with the Noah story is we normally focus on the wrong things. We really do. Even theologians, we get, we get trapped. Some of the things we want to focus on are things like this. Was this a localized flood where just all the earth at the time was flooded? Or is this a global flood? Does this, does this take place everywhere or just there? Um, doesn't really tell us, and, and uh, um, we're not going to go there today. But another thing, question we might want to ask is, you know, when we dig up ancient Near Eastern history, most of them have a flood story. How, how does our story differ? And there's some differences. There's some beautiful differences. And we could get stuck there. But God did not tell us everything. But what we want to ask is, God, what do you have for us? What is here for us today? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous because i got to read a lot to you today, and I don't want to lose you. You might be tired. You might be angry about that game yesterday. Um, you, you might have been arguing your spouse on the way over. Your kid might be acting up. Um, something might be happening, but you got to listen. I'm not going to miss God's story, all right? Will you listen? Will you do me your best to listen in? Now, before we begin reading, and we're going to read the entire book of Genesis. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Before we begin, what I'd like to do is this. I want you to listen for three things, okay? This will help you pay attention. I want you to listen and answer the questions, is God going to let us go? Is God really going to let us go? See if he, see the answer to that. Second one is, is God's plan really going to fail? And lastly, is God's, what's greater? God's wrath so angry at sin that he's willing to wipe out all of creation and save one family? Or is it God's grace? Okay, we're going to pick up the story, reading in Genesis 6, verse 5. We're going to go through 22, then we're going to skip to chapter 8, a little bit of chapter 9. But as we begin, let me pray for us. And Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for what this inerrant, infallible word meant to the original hearers. I thank you for what it means to us, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those who now have the Holy Spirit inside of us that allows us to, to wrestle and see what this really means. Father, I think about those, those uh, walking on the road to Emmaus with you, Jesus, and how you open up their minds and so that they can understand that this story was about you. All the stories of the Old Testament pointed to you, were fulfilled in you, find their yes in you. 
And so, Father, we ask your spirit would come and, and fall afresh on this, on, on this room. That, God, we, we, we wouldn't get lost. There's a lot of words you're going to see. Don't let us get lost. And, and don't let us get on sidetracks that miss the beauty and the glory of this story. God, would you help me to read well? Would you help me to preach well so that you're beautiful and I'm insignificant? Um, we ask that the things that are said that are true, we know your word is, but the preaching of your word, uh, that you'd use those things to make us more like Jesus. And the things that are, that are wrong or my opinion, God, would you just cause them to fall away and be forgotten? We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. Genesis 6, starting in verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. Man, is this a bleak picture or what? Every intention of our hearts are evil continually. Talk about total depravity. And the Lord was sorry that he had made a man on the earth, and it was grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, or favor found Noah, or, but God liked Noah. Listen to see what happens comes first, God's grace, and then Noah's response. These are the generations of Noah. Noah is a righteous man. Blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Anybody here name any kids Shem, Ham, or Japheth? Make sure you don't name them Ham, whatever you do. <laughs> now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Now not just man. Look at this. Look at what, look what this fall has done, folks. Look, look at this is this, this curse has affected all things. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And he gives them the dimensions. Make a roof in verse 16 for the ark and finish it to a cubic above. Um, in verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. Wow. Talk about God's wrath. But, thank God that there's always a but when we're talking about God's wrath and we see his grace. But I will establish my covenant with you. God's always the initiator. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wife with you. And every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. By the way, does God care about his creation? Of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every short sort shall come into, you, come into you to keep them alive. And take them with you, every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. I shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to. And verse 7 will tell us 
uh, more implications of that. Verse 5, it says God commanded, he did everything God commanded him. Um, let's turn to chapter 8. Um, 8 and 20. The, the, by the way, what you need to see, one of the biggest differences with uh, this story, the biblical story, and the ancient Near Eastern stories is verse 16 and verse 7, is that God shuts the door. God is the hero. God is the hero completely in this story. Um, in verse 8, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verses 20 and 22, and then we're going to keep on reading all the way through 9.17. Then Noah built the uh, altar to the Lord, and this is, a, they've, they've come out now, and, and uh, God has destroyed all things. There's a new world. And by the way, it's interesting, as he created the world, he basically separated the waters. This, this is a reverse of that. The waters have come crashing in. The world's been reversed. He's created a new world, but sin is still a passenger on that boat. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of, the, of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Hallelujah. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Look what happened. Evil's still there. We still need Jesus to show up. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease except for in central Florida. No, it doesn't say that. But here's what he's promising. God's saying they're not going to give up. I mean, you're going to have seasons. And, and although I should really destroy you because wickedness is still there, I'm not going to give up. I'm going I'm to preserve these seasons until one comes to truly rescue in verse 9, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And what I want you to picture here is Adam. I mean, this is exactly what he's telling Adam. And he's, t- he's starting over. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. By the way, the curse is still there. The animals now live in dread of us, in fear of us. We were to rule and reign over them, but because of the curse, now they are fearful of us. Into your hands they are delivered. Interesting, in Adam, God let Adam name all the animals. In Noah, he lets Noah deliver all the animals. We still are stewards of his creation. Every moving thing that lives shall be uh, food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh while it's with its life, that is, its blood. And for your bloodshed I'll require a reckoning. From every beast I'll require it from man. From his fellow man I'll require a reckoning for the life of man. And here we see how important the image is. We see capital punishment. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by, his, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made him in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, with every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut out off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said... This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, listen, it doesn't say we will remember. God says, 
I will remember. My covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. There's more of the story we didn't read. Did you stay with me? If your spouse or somebody's asleep, elbow them. Let's get them reengaged here. The first thing we've got to see is this. God is never going to let us go. God is never going to let you go. This morning we have good news. God is never going to let you go. Thank you, Tap. Sin's curse has ruined everything. All of creation is clearly affected by the curse. We who were originally called to be a blessing have been nothing but a curse, and we've cursed everything that we have touched. But God, in spite of the extensiveness of the curse, will never let us go. Again, in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, it says, All things have become corrupt. The entire earth has become corrupt. Is this curse a real deal? Is it affected all things? It has. But God is never going to let us go in spite of the extensiveness of the curse. And even in spite of the intensiveness of the curse. Look again in verse 5. Every single inclination of your heart and my heart is bent toward evil. God has every reason to say, I give up. Do you not get it? How come you keep on turning from me? How come you keep running? Can you not keep your thoughts straight for five minutes? God will never let us go. Do you know how much I need to hear this? I I, I hope by God's grace you are able to understand verse 5 in chapter 6 applies to you. That every inclination of man and women's heart is bent toward evil. This curse thing has affected our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, our deeds. But God is never going to let his own go. We've disqualified ourselves. He really, if you want to call for justice and fairness and fair and balanced, we'd be cursed. What do you think this meant to the original audience? Here they are about ready to march into war. Here they are, ready to go in the promised land, and they've been told they're a lot bigger than you are. They're a lot stronger than you are. They're fortified. You're going to go in the promised land? And God's saying, you know what? I'm never going to let you go. The same needs to be reminded to many of you today. Many of you here today feel like God's failing you. You feel like something's gone awry, and, and, and maybe God's forgotten. Maybe there's so much pain that you're really not seeing. What you need to hear in this whole Noah story is that God truly will never let you go. Jesus says, I know my sheep, I know them by name, and I'm going to gather them. I'm going to gather them in my loving, pierced hands, and nothing shall ever separate me from them. 
And nothing can ever pry them out of my hands. Listen, for those of you who are hurting, for those of you who are struggling, for those of you who are even right now say, i got to let go of God. I can't hold on anymore. This hurts too much. Just know the Father in heaven will never let you go. Amen? Hallelujah. Is he not faithful? If it's one family on the earth that's his, he's saying, I'm not going to lose that one. Not one. God is never going to let you go. Let that seep deep into your soul. Because some of you this morning feel like he's turned his back. And some of you feel like all you're experiencing is the rain. But the promises of God and the reality of an empty tomb is he will never let you go. The next thing we see that's so beautiful is this. God's plan is never going to fail. God's plan is never going to fail. You know what? It's in spite of man's sin. You read the Bible and it's amazing. God makes promises and you know what we do? We try to do it our way. I mean, Frank Sinatra represents us throughout the Bible. He's singing to us our song. You know what song he's singing? I did it my way. That is, that is man's song throughout the scriptures. And it's Frank Sinatra. Read it. You're going to hear his voice. And he's going to say, I did it my way. And God's going to say, your way leads to death, destruction, and curse. But God's going to say, despite the fact that you're going to try to ruin everything, despite your fact that your sin is bringing a curse on your own life, despite the curse of all of creation, my A plan will never fail. This should be some really, really good news. This should motivate us to dream and dream big, to realize that God's plan is not going to fail in spite of our sin. God's promises, unbelievably, God's promises he made way back in the beginning in the garden, he's not going to let man sin thwart. He's going to bring his life and life abundantly. He's going to bring paradise. He's creating a place where God and man can dwell together. His plan won't fail. And maybe your plan has, and I know lots of mine have crumbled, and maybe that plan to get married just hasn't happened, and those plans for kids just hasn't taken place yet, and maybe that plan you had for your career or your education or your life seems to crumble, and maybe all you see of your plans is smoke and ashes. I've looked at so many of mine the same way. His plan will never fail. I love what God did in chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2. He took Noah, who represented all of mankind, and he recommissioned him. And guess what he recommissioned to do? Exactly what he told Adam to do. Nothing was annulled. I mean, nothing was changed. God has created us to be his agents of glory. God has created us to go everywhere we can go and reflect his story as his image, his goodness and glory, to tell his story, to multiply, to make other disciples, to multiply, to bring the reign and rule of Christ wherever we go. That's always been God's plan. It always will be God's plan. And here's some really good news. It won't fail. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And thank God for his grace that allows us to bend our knee now and say, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. And I have surrendered my life to you. And my plans might be smoke and ashes. But your plan, your plan of redemption and love and mercy and grace 
will never fail. This whole earth is going to be filled with his glory. And he gives us the privilege now to be those ambassadors advancing that kingdom. What do you think it meant to the original audience that they knew his plan wasn't going to fail? What do you think it meant to them when they were marching in to Jericho? What do you think it meant to them when they were seeing giants in the land? Just to know God's plan won't fail. You know how motivational that is for them? And you know how motivational that should be for us as well? There's such good news. We've got to hear this. Our sin won't even ruin God's plan. <laughs> it'll, it, it'll affect our lives, but it, our sin ultimately will not ruin God's plan. He will redeem all things. Is that an amen? Exciting what God has done. And lastly, it's this. Listen, God's grace is greater than God's wrath. Judgment is real. If you're apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got to look at this and say that God's serious about sin. He was so serious that he was willing to save one family and wipe out the rest of the earth. And the New Testament clearly says that there's another judgment coming, one with fire. And it's going to be just like the day in Noah. People are going to have parties and getting married and everything's going to be seen ducky. And all of a sudden, boom, God's judgment comes. But here's what we got to hear. Listen, listen, lean into this. This is really, really amazing. Judgment is not an end to itself. Judgment kills. But rather, judgment, listen, judgment is a means for God to show us his grace and to bring about that promised shalom. Judgment is for the sake of grace so that we can live in a place where heaven and earth collide. So that his rule and reign is here. Judgment is to deal with the bad so we can pour in the good. we got to see that. Even in our own lives, it's painful in your own lives. If, if God is doing something, he's revealing your sin in your life and it really hurts. And there's so many things right now, you just want to say, stop it, God, stop it. It hurts too much. Just know that he's going to put you in a refiner's fire. He's going to dig deeply so he can fill you with living waters and pour in his grace into your life. You know what it says in verse 8 of chapter 6? Grace found Noah. You got, you got, well, I see the sequence here. God was really ticked at all of the earth and says this, grace found Noah. Grace found him. God's going to decide, I really like Noah. I love that guy. Noah's my man. Grace found Noah. Before Noah was righteous, and before Noah had faith to walk with God, guess who starts the whole deal? It's the hero, God. God's mercy leads. And he's going to say, my grace is going to find Noah. And then faith and righteousness follow God's grace. It's always that way. God is the hero of every, every salvation story. We can see that grace, uh, the, the, the faith and righteousness in 6.9. Hebrews 11.7 celebrates Noah as a man of faith. Celebrates a man of faith that would spend his whole life when there hasn't been a rainstorm in the midst of his neighbors building a ridiculously large boat. Every day he had to wake up and do the will of God when everybody just laughed in his face, saying, you are a moron. You are a loser. But it all started with God's grace. And then God, listen, God hung in his room. He hung in his own room. Look at Revelation 4.3. It's the throne room of God. Guess what you find in the throne room of God? Guess what's in there in Revelation 4.3? Guess what God hangs up in his room? What does God decorate his room with? A rainbow to remind himself, you know what? 
And it's a bow. It's a, it's, it's a war implement. And guess where that bow is pointed? Toward heaven. If I don't keep covenant with God's people, if I don't keep covenant with my people, if I don't do what I'd say, may I bring harm to myself. This bow is toying toward me. But when I see it, I'm going to remember my love, my grace, my mercy that never fails. God's provided a way out. He provided, listen, and he was so gracious. Every nail that Noah drove in was telling his neighbors, get in the boat. Judgment's coming. Get in. God's provided a way for you too. Listen, the ark just points to Jesus. God's wrath is real. But he provides one that if we hide ourselves in this ark, we too can be saved. We too will be lifted clearly, safely on the waters of judgment and brought life and life abundantly. And the ark is Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. He says, whosoever shall come to me, I'll never drive out. The door is open. I am the door. Come. Come to me. All you who are heavy burdened, all all you who are weary, come and find rest. He is the true ark. He is the one that will lead us safely into paradise in the Father's arms. Are you in the ark? Are you in the ark of Christ? Have you come to the point in your life where you realized, I need to embrace Christ as Savior. The door is open today. What is God asking you to build with your life story? What is he asking you to build? And really, no matter what it is, if you're a teacher, you're a lawyer, you're whatever you are, God's asking you to build something. But whatever it is, it's for his glory. And it's to tell his story. To tell others, Jesus. Jesus is the way. Do you know him? Is he in your life? Are you pointing others to Christ? As the, other, as the offering comes, I'm going to pray and the offering's going to come and what we're going to do is uh, we're going to hear another song uh, from David Crowder's CD. I told you, it's, yeah, you've got to go buy it. It's Never Let Go. Just take this time and just do, do business with, with, with Jesus. And if you haven't yet embraced Him as Savior, even as the offering's being passed, don't put anything in. Receive eternal life and ask Christ to come in and hide yourself in the ark of Christ. But for the rest of us, especially for those of you who are hurting, Let me encourage you and remind you, Jesus will never let you go. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for a love that is incomprehensible. And Father, when this whole world had brought on condemnation and we deserved your wrath, you still gave us mercy. And even though there were only eight, Father, you decided to bless Noah so that the whole world can be blessed. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who is yet to enter the ark of safety of Jesus Christ by your grace through faith that today, even during this moment, during this song, they would ask you into their lives and that, Father, you would save them from the wrath to come and give them peace that passes understanding in the midst of the storm of life. And Father, for the rest of us and for several who are really struggling now, God, I pray that this song would be a reminder that you will never let us go. Your plan will never fail. And your grace and mercy outweighs all of your wrath. We thank you for all of this. In Christ's name, amen.